me to say that every time? Because I said it a shitload of times in the wedding. Yes, sir. So you want Yes, sir. Yep. Okay, I got it, sir. I just didn't know if you want me to hit it every time, but I'll do that from now on. Okay, you got it. Thank you. Yep, I will. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Well, let me tell you something. Well, let me tell you something. 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 Let me tell you something, man. Time once again for two differing generations of professional wrestling fans to delude themselves into thinking that they know what they talk about as if they're some pair of white straight males or something like that. Yes, it's the Pro Wrestling Discussion Podcast called Let Me Tell You Something. I'm your co-host Lorcan Mullen and with me as always is the Jesse Ventura to my Gorilla Monsoon, the Tony Schiavone to my Dave Crockett, the Jonathan Coachman to my Al Snow, Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how you doing mate? I'm not doing too bad. Uh, two out of three is not bad for that introduction there. Uh, I, I don't know about the coach. I don't know if I could quite pull off that look. Mm. Not not really me, not my well, bag. Size a straight white male part of it as well. <laughs> Yeah. Although I think Booker T did once question his um, <laughs> cultural allegiances or something along those lines. <laughs> oh, Booker! He, 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 he does love um, he, he does love questioning uh, people's attitudes towards color, doesn't he? And he also loves shoving people in the way of oncoming monsters among men, doesn't he, Simon? He does. He that does. is one natural segue because we've done a couple of podcasts in the past in this show about um, individuals within the wrestling industry, but they've always been, to the best of my knowledge, they've always been wrestlers, haven't they, Simon? It's been Kane. They have. We discussed John Cena, but specifically here, John Cena is the main event. Uh, uh, I can't remember if we've. Oh, um, we've done the Miz. the Miz. We've done Goldberg. Goldberg. But this time we are talking about a, a man. That's not a wrestler, but he is maybe a totem, a symbol, a voice, a face in many ways of a particular aspect of the WWE for the best part of 20 years now. Uh, And it's the one, the only, Michael Cole. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to spend an hour-ish talking about Michael Cole. Simon, I think you were... It's, it's a hard sell on paper, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> but fair were, with us. Yeah, I don't know if you were hesitant or you were surprised that very early on to when we were discussing subjects for this podcast, I always wanted to talk about Michael Cole before Jim Ross, before even Jerry Lawler as both a wrestler or a commentator, because 
I think you can... I mean, you're still worried about whether we're going to be able to fill a whole episode talking about this guy. I am, yes. But <laughs> he's such a key figure within the whole structure of the WWE, both on-screen and increasingly off-screen. And I think he also, maybe more than anyone, embodies the increasing corporatization of the WWE. Um, it, like, he's the person that comes out. It's not just that he announces the lead show. It's not just that he announces every uh, pay-per-view, the raw pay-per-view, and, and every WrestleMania and everything. He's been the lead commentator for at least 10 years now. And the previous 10 years, a, a key one second or third place uh, voice within the company as well. It's that he is... Also, the person that introduced when they did the big WWE Network unveiling, I believe he was the first person to either introduce it or to kind of help explain what the company was. So he is a figurehead within the company, not just on screen. He's been in charge of the website. He's been in charge of uh, production increasingly as time goes on. Things like NXT and the UK tournament, which we'll talk about, I think, a lot in this. Our, our Michael Cole brainchild. So... Or, or at least Michael Cole's a key part of it. So, I think, when we talk about Michael Cole, I think the first thing I want to ask you, Simon, is, do you like Michael Cole as an on-air personality, as a talent? Ah, oh, It's a many-sided question. Um, I didn't used to, um, before I... I didn't used to, uh, but then I sort of added a... A lens to which I, I view WWE, um, and that lens is th their line. What's the on-air personalities are doing is heavily influenced. Well, it is influenced by what Vince McMahon wants to do. So rather than judge, do I like what I'm seeing? Sometimes I have to judge it through the scope of are they executing what they've been the lines they've been delivered well enough. Um, I'm sure, I mean, you are a film buff, Lork, and I'm sure uh, you can uh, think of an example of where someone doesn't have the best script to work with, but puts in a stellar performance nonetheless. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you could argue that The Dark Knight Rises isn't the best story or the best script of all the Batman movies, but Tom Hardy was still able to make a, a very interesting villain out of Bane pretty much through his performance and his vocal inflections, and, and his limited, you know, he was limited facially with what he could show. So, within the confines of what's set out for you, uh, very often it's it's a greater challenge. You know, we've got a very limited budget, we don't have producers, we don't have executives, we don't have editors. What we're doing now is basically us working to the best of our capabilities within the limitations of what we have. Um, and so Michael Cole does work within the limitations of what... He has to do, which is talk through the filter of Vince McMahon. That he is the closest that there's been to Vince McMahon, the announcer, since Vince McMahon left the announcing booth uh, around 1997 and became the Mr. McMahon on-air personality. How how Michael Cole speaks, um, his viewpoints are what Vince McMahon wants the fans' viewpoints to be in keeping with the storylines. Yeah, does Michael Cole actually have a viewpoint that we've seen on, on TV? Because Jim Ross always... That's the problem with Michael Cole. When you talk Michael Cole, you always talk Jim Ross. That he was always the corporate puppet compared to JR, who was always his own man, that had made 
a name and a living out of being a wrestling announcer for years before he came to the WWE. And that ultimately the, the JR version that we got in the Attitude Era that everyone so waxes nostalgic about is a hybrid of sorts between the Jim Ross of the Mid-South and WCW and the corporate Jim Ross that listened to Vincent Mann and doesn't reel off. It's very interesting, actually. If you want to see where Jim Ross was in the Attitude Era compared to what Jim Ross was before then, not so much WrestleMania 9. Watch King of the Ring 1993. And it's really interesting to see Jim Ross talking about things like these wrestlers' high school and, and collegiate athletic abilities. like, And he doesn't make any kind of bones about the fact that IRS is Mike Rotundo, the former tag team champion with the US. So he mentions things like IRS is a five-time tag team champion when, as far as you're aware, you know, to most wrestling fans, they wouldn't. They wouldn't even necessarily, even if they watched it back then, wouldn't necessarily remember that IRS yeah. was Mike Rotundo. So it's Jim Ross was targeting an audience, or he he had his own way of going. That Vincent Mann it was kind of an anathema to that, and so Vincent Mann did ultimately push him to one side. He became a radio announcer pretty soon after that. I think WrestleMania Nine and King of the Ring '93 were the only pay per views that Jim Ross announced as lead. Um, play-by-play announcer until the Attitude Era, actually, because uh, when Jim Ross came back, he was always in a two- or three-man booth with Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon's does... Vince McMahon thinks that Vince McMahon is a great wrestling announcer, and Vince <laughs> McMahon has been trying to coach Michael Cole to be as close to what he was in, in that regards ever since. The thing about Michael Cole is he can never be as bombastic as, as Vince McMahon is. He could never be... Oh, we got it! What a maneuver and all that sort of stuff. Unbelievable. Michael Cole was never going to be that for two actually... reasons. One, uh, Vince McMahon, I think, naturally is more of a charismatic man. And two, I think the time that Michael Cole announced in compared to the time that Vince McMahon announced in, I, I, I think the bombastic nature wouldn't really have flown mm. as much. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from with that because it's interesting to see. His original position within the company was inheriting the mantle of Todd Pettengill, who had inherited the mantle of Mean Gene Oakland, which I guess was that roving reporter, uh, correspondent in many ways, news reporter, like some sort of Walter Cronkite, uh, Trevor McDonald-like figure within the WWE. That Mean Gene Oakland had that authority again that worked in the 80s and the early 90s. And then when Todd Pettengill came in, he was part of that experimentation of the mid-90s of them trying to find the right thing that fit. And he was very different to me and Gene Oakland. He was a combination of like, um, a crazy hot top of the hour at the 9.30 on WKXLRB. Uh, sort of shock jock. Crossed <laughs> with sort of Jim Carrey, Ace Ventura, wacky 90s stand-up. And so to go from such a, 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 a an amusing... Uh, tongue-in-cheek in a way character like Mean Gene Oakland to an over-the-top, silly, uh, kiddie-friendly almost uh, Todd Pettengill to what Michael Cole became. And Michael Cole was doing those jobs. He was interviewing people backstage. He was hosting the weekend and the early Saturday morning and that wrap-up shows. He was doing so much stuff. And his position was a lot more neutral i think maybe the idea was that the personalities were the people in the ring vince was gradually getting rid of those he was getting rid of those managers he was getting rid of those um 
on-screen personalities that weren't WWF superstars. And, of course, Michael Cole had a lot more of a legitimate background than Todd Pettengill or Mean Gene Oakland in that he was, as he pointed out, a war correspondent. War correspondent. And it is pretty crazy when you look at the stuff that he was doing. I mean, he was in his... I think he was 29 when he signed up for the WWF in 1997. And already he covered presidential campaigns and civil war conflicts. Which has always made me wonder if one of the reasons that he's been able to last 20 years in that insane uh, environment is that he's one of the few people with a bit of perspective that as mad Vince as Vince isn't is, that bad. <laughs> yeah, it's not war-torn Sarajevo or whoever it, wherever it was that he was yeah. that he had previously experienced. So and in terms obviously... of backstage politicking, if you can survive, if, in terms of backstage politicking, if you can survive a presidential campaign in America, you can survive pretty much anything. Yeah, and so it's interesting because to me, when I got back into the WWE, uh, when I well, it's not that I was never out of interest with the WWE or when it was the WWF, I just didn't have the access to it. And so finally in early 1998, late 1997, when I got when we got Sky in our house, I was able to watch it. And I watched as much as I could. I watched Raw, and I also watched Livewire, Metal, uh, whatever else was on Sky One, Saturday mornings. And it was literally just, this is what happened on Raw, this is what happened on Raw, this is what happened on Raw. And Michael Cole just retelling it over and over again. Uh, in front of that bank of uh, monitors that Mean Gene used to stand in front of and Sean Mooney used to stand in front of. And and, and he would also pop in during WWF Raw on Sky Sports where they had to do sort of their UK correspondence bit where he'd be plugging Mayhem in Manchester or Capital Carnage or anything like that that wasn't uh, part of regular WWF uh, uh, TV that was just for those markets. And think about it, he was probably doing that, not just for the UK, he was probably doing that for Australia, he was probably doing that for South Africa, Europe, he was doing it for whatever extra things I had to do in Canada, or in the individual territories at the time, you know, just saying this live event's coming to your place, which was all the stuff that me and Gene Oakland also had to do, and... He must have done, and on top of that, he was on Raw. He used to be one of the announcers for the first hour of Raw, along with Kevin Kelly and Jim Ross, and he was the backstage reporter. And he would be the commentator on things like Metal or Jacked or Heat <laughs> or Shotgun or whatever else it was that was unimportant enough for Vince McMahon and them lot to pay any attention to, but he still had to do it. Like it shows how nineties apprenticeship. It shows how nineties wrestling really was. All of those names like Metal and Jacks and Shotgun that you just thrown out there, they could easily be types of links. Yes. Easily. Exactly. <laughs> oh, what have we got? Java. Oh, I've got Metal. I've tried Jacks. <laughs> Definitely going to have that... sex with attractive women and in no way harass them. <laughs> Cash back. <laughs> Our American listeners may have no idea what we just did. It was called Axe in America, but I think it was pretty much the same advertising and everything like that. Same principle. Yeah. So, and here's one of the key things I want to say about Michael Cole, that I think he gets shat on a lot. I remember, there are podcasts of wrestling that I enjoy, that, like, look back at that kind of era of wrestling, or when they do recaps, and they have a go at Michael Cole for misspeaking on something. I dare anyone... To try to speak for three hours covering some sort of sporting event, not trip over your words, not um, not ah, uh, 
not lose uh, focus, not repeat yourself constantly, to try and get the right pitch of importance at various points. You have to have your peaks of importance during a match, and you've got to you've got to have a psychology of your own as an announcer that matches the psychology of the match being put in front of you. You've got to do all that with all these bullet points, and you've got to do that with a psychotic man shouting in your ear throughout the whole time. Not just a psychotic man shouting in your ear, a psychotic boss shouting in your ear. The man that signs your paychecks, don't forget. Um, Before that last point that you mentioned about the psychotic man, I was about to say the only equivalent I can think of, and it's a bit left field, is Test Match Special. Now, they have to make five days of sport seem interesting. And they manage... I don't know how. But, uh, I mean, yes, but cricket is not of that high intensity that WWE is. This, and, also, and also, cricket is just one field, one square, one rectangle piece of a field, and that's all they've got to pay attention to. They have to pay attention to what's going on in the ring. They have to pay attention to what the next segment is being lined up. They're having countdowns being said in their ear as they're trying to make the right finish of it so that it will go now to the next scene. And they have to do it in one take. And they can't switch it. They can't take it in turns. They can't have charming chats with Lily Allen about nothing whilst the rains come down. They can't... (laughs) They don't have people sending in cakes for them to enjoy during the event. They don't get to do any of that. Do you hate Test Match Special? Is that what this is? I'm not <laughs> against Test Match Special. I want, I've always wanted to go to a cricket game, like a Test Cricket... I mean, I live quite close to Edgebaston, and I have meant to go. because I would. I, what I love about the idea of cricket, especially Test Cricket, even though I haven't really gone and watched any of it live... But especially test cricket, I like the idea that I could just get up, go to the bar, maybe flip through a book for a half an hour, uh, have a leisurely stroll to the toilet, and back, and maybe 20 runs have been scored in the hour and a half. I haven't been there. (laughs) (laughs) It is a truly unique uh, thing. I mean, yeah, I mean... We we, we are obviously going off on a tangent. We are poking fun at it a bit. Um, Some of the points... Some of the comparisons between Test Match uh, Special and uh, wrestling are valid. No one, I can't think of any other sport where it's commentated on for that long. Um, maybe Formula One, baseball. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not a baseball man. American football. Maybe it's an American thing just to have long periods of commentary. I mean, this is why I'm using cricket as an example because yeah, it's the closest events. thing I know. Boxing events and UFC and everything. <sighs> but even then, they're just reacting to what's happening. In a weird way, Michael Cole will know most of what's going to happen, but act as if he's reacting to it for the first time. So it's That's... a three-hour monologue, well, not a monologue, but it's a three-hour improv, and you and I have done improv, and... Uh, we could not have done it for three hours. We could, well, yeah, not not done it any good for three hours. No. Oh, yeah, it had been done, but yeah. it would not have been done well. A few offers <laughs> would have to have not been accepted after a while. <laughs> oh, God. Just see you weeping in a ball in the corner by the end. Well, James would do that to me sometimes in our old improv sessions. Ah, bless him. That, that, that's a real joke. A very that is a very inside joke. Anyway, we, we have digressed. Um, but that, that goes to show the fact that we have digressed. Michael Cole can't do that. Michael Cole has to, to do that. Exactly. <laughs> and he's got to keep laser he's got to keep laser focused. And yeah, you're right. Some people go, oh, he says someone else's name rather than the wrestler was in the ring. Come on. 
You couldn't have done that. That you couldn't have done it that well. Yeah, you, I remember, just, you just couldn't have. Yeah, I remember when uh, What Culture Pro Wrestling did their first show, and that guy who always talks like this, he couldn't say El Ligero, and he was given like five cracks of the whip at that. <laughs> and I guarantee you, he'll have done a few videos shitting on Michael Cole over the years. And you know who? Who are you? Who are you? I say. And look, we try the best we can. We're not greatly trained but we both have our foibles in the last episode you said route much more about five or six times <laughs> i will never not say to an extent or kind of for at least 10 to 20 10 to 20 times per episode i just can't help it to an extent but that's if you do want to drink points. along with us that is a great rule to have by the way <laughs> if you want to destroy your liver um, <laughs> but that's that, that, like I said. That's it's so hard, and I don't think he or any announcers get the kudos that they deserve for what they do. And like I say, Michael Cole has been doing that now for twenty years, and he has never been lauded. I can't imagine, except for the post WrestleMania twenty nine brief Michael Cole chants. I think the best reception he must have got when he's come out is neutrality and, and indifference. I mean, you've been to yeah. a few live uh, wrestling TV recordings. Has Michael Cole made an entrance at those shows? And if so, what kind of reception has he received? Um Yeah, he, he has an entrance theme. Um, he comes he, he comes down to the ring. It's a little bit um, bad for him in a way because um, it's usually sort of like the first one. And it's like, oh, okay, Michael Cole's coming out. Oh, we're starting soon. And then um, the stock exchange uh, bell hits um, usually, and you get like uh, someone like JBL coming in, you know, who has built up their own legacy with the fans through through at, through being an actual on air personality in the ring, and the crowd just goes wild. But it's it's sort of this is really harsh on Michael Cole, but it, it's sort of like the five minute warning. It's like, oh, oh, Raw starting soon. Yeah. Better, better. I'm not. I'm not going to make that trip for that beard just yet. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a shame because I really wanted to throw it at Michael Cole. <laughs> oh, I, I have not been blessed with seats that close. <laughs> That's a little bit outside my brush range. I think you've probably got a bit of an arm on you if you're a cricket fan. You know, like that guy <laughs> who threw John Cena's shirt back at him from about row Q or wherever it was at the WWE at ECW. So now that was impressive. That yeah. was a cannon. Let's have a look at a little bit of a potted history of uh, Michael Cole. So he comes, like I said, he comes into the WWE in '97 as the Todd Pettengill replacement, and immediately he's being hazed on screen. I remember him being like wedged by DX. I think DX just basically abused him for ages on on <laughs> screen. Um, he also would get verbally assaulted by The Rock. Him and Kevin Kelly were just The Rock's playthings for the best part of two years yeah and he doesn't even get to be remembered as the rock's primary plaything. i mean the rock's relationship with coach sort of uh shades michael coles quite significantly and then what was one of the first key moments in defining michael cole to the audience and i do, and i think maybe to fans of my vintage that have never stopped watching it or even if they have stopped watching it and come back they'll remember michael cole as the guy that stood in for jim ross at some of the peak of the Attitude Era because of the Bell's palsy attack. And suddenly you went from the best, maybe the best or the second best play-by-play announcer of all time in his prime. And he was in his prime at that point as an announcer. 
with Jerry Lawler, and Jerry Lawler hadn't quite become the didn't give a shit uh, Jerry Lawler of, of later years, and he wasn't. He was getting to puppies um, fanatic, but not quite there yet either. And suddenly you have Michael Cole, who just doesn't have the experience that Jim Ross has, doesn't have the knowledge either yet as a, as an announcer, and, and he also it seemed like he didn't even know the names of these moves. That was the thing. As a 14-year-old, 15-year-old smarky smark that was watching it at the time, I was furious that he wouldn't name a movie an Enziguri, or he wouldn't name a Corkscrew Plunger, or he yeah. wouldn't name a German type... No, he wouldn't name a Dragon Suplex, or things like that. He would, And I remember I would. that was how I would describe him. I think this was something from Power Slam as well at the time. I would call him... Oh, not Michael, what a move, Cole. He didn't even <laughs> say maneuver. He would just say, what a move. And that was because, the thing is, though, that was because he was being drilled into him to not call the moves. That was what Joel, Joey Styles was told he had to stop doing to tell the story, as it were. That was the key thing that was it was important. And I think the best ones do tell the story, because if you listen, I think... Here's my first controversial statement, and I will go back to it. Michael Cole is a better announcer than Joey Styles ever was. That's my first controversial statement. He's throwing it out there. Uh, yes, and I'm not saying that Michael Cole 1998 was as good as Joey Styles 1998, but I think Monday Michael Cole is a better announcer than Joey Styles was at that point. Partly because he has more experience than Joey Styles at that point, and he's had to do a lot more different things, and he's had to work in different contexts. Joey Styles did always work on his own, uh, very rarely worked with a partner. And he was produced by Paul Heyman, and he gave Paul Heyman what Paul Heyman wanted. But Michael Cole did eventually learn how to carry a match as it goes on and get increasingly excited as time goes on. Because I remember the Rock Mankind I Quit match, he just he went high too quick. And he couldn't go any higher in his uh, volume, in his passion in his um, way of conveying how increasingly violent and brutal it was getting. And, that's and something... so there was nowhere for him to go. Exactly, um, and that's something that not only announcers should uh, heed in mind, but obviously it's something important that's taught to wrestlers themselves as well. You, you have to give yourself a smooth progression to your crescendo. You can't come in at 100 miles an hour because... What happens next? Well, I remember Al Snow saying in one of his clips that a pop is only supposed to happen once, and it is the moment where everything reaches its apex. It's essentially, you know, the orgasmic point, the end of it. And the problem was that, you know, Michael Cole, I guess, just uh, made too much of a mess early on, and, you know, he tried to clean it up, and, and um, you know, it's never happened to him before. But he's... Um, and, he, and he did eventually learn from that. And I think that the key point for Michael Cole was when he was able to identify himself with SmackDown. More specifically, when Jerry Lawler left and he was partnered up with his Sunday Night Heat partner of Taz. And that Michael Cole-Taz partnership was its own thing. I remind It reminded me more of the Joe Rogan-Mike Goldberg relationship in UFC. And I know Joe Rogan's not an ex- like an, an actual fighter, but Taz had that level of expertise that was allowed yeah. he was allowed to use and he was more interested in the wrestling fundamentals and SmackDown was more of a wrestling show. And so he was able to say like, I remember when um Kurt and Angle Taz and the- 
Taz gave Michael Cole energy, but yeah. not an overpowering amount of energy. Yeah, um, he like he uh, Jerry Lawler. With, yeah, he wouldn't drown it out with puppies and everything like that. He yeah. would have his catchphrases like Rocket Buster and things like that. But Taz was just as um, mold- malleable and moldable and new. And that he was being produced and, and taking orders as well. So it wasn't a case of them trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole. It was a peg that was kind of mushy and could be turned into round shape. <laughs> and the Are you saying they were trying to put Play-Doh through? Or... Yes, yes, essentially. But it, 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 and so, and apparently the reason for that was that Paul Heyman, who was in charge of SmackDown at the time, would literally bring them into the studio and have them pretty much re-record everything that they recorded live to tape and just drill them time and time and again. And apparently they hated him for it. But it must have helped because I think the Michael Cole... Michael Cole smackdown with Taz. You know, I think Michael Cole did a great job announcing the Eddie Guerrero Brock Lesnar match. Both of them did. Uh, they did a great job. Like I said, when when um, Kurt Angle uh, forced the Undertaker to tap whilst the Undertaker had Kurt Angle pinned, was when he put him in a triangle choke, and it was Taz was just able to go. That's a triangle choke. That's a jujitsu hold, and that was just that great. That was the color commentator providing the colour, the context, whereas Michael Cole's providing the outline of the story. And yeah. they they worked so well together. Maybe it was because it was live to tape, and so there weren't as many, uh, that it could be re-recorded, so there weren't as many slip-ups because they were able to edit those out. They wouldn't, if he did get Jeff Hardy mixed up with Matt Hardy, you wouldn't have known because they did get the um, chance to re-record it. And those re-recordings as well, that's more experience. That's them doing more commentary. So they get to learn at a quicker rate. Yeah, I mean, they, they their partnership was so solid and, and they were seen as such a, a key double act together that they were even um, piloted a, a show on Howard Stern's Sirius XM that didn't go anywhere. But there is a great clip online that I think I might use uh, as the end uh, uh, audio. So I won't give it away here, but those who know know what it is and it's a... Uh, Quite an interesting bit of audio. Uh, stuff you wouldn't usually hear from Michael Cole being said um, in in a different environment. And then you had the JBL partnership, which was also very solid. I always say that the early JBL was the best version of JBL. And it was the closest we probably came until Corey Graves to a Jesse Ventura-esque pl- uh, color commentator who was intelligent, articulate, but also did the favouring of the heels um, uh, dynamic. And funny. Yeah, he was funny. Yeah, absolutely. I remember one time him um, criticising Booker T for his hypocrisy and JBL just being affronted and saying, shut up! (laughs) That was all he said. One of my favourite JBL lines is, um, it's the... It's the Money in the Bank WrestleMania match where King Booker climbs the ladder and Matt Hardy holds Charmel hostage and says, I'm going to twist a photo, I'm going to twist a photo. And JBL is just screaming down the mic, screw her, Booker, I know plenty of women. <laughs> yeah, that, that, early, that, that was why I was so disappointed at the JBL that we got that came back. And maybe it was a JBL that was more produced by Vince McMahon and he just never... He never and a JBL of... possibly more mindful of his gig on Fox News. Perhaps, perhaps, or Fox Business, or whatever it was he had. Yeah, has, I think. I don't know if he's still doing it. Um, But then came the key moment that I think brought back the hatred, and the hatred's never gone away, which was when, in 2008, I believe it was, he was swapped live on air with Jim Ross, and neither of them had been told that that was going to happen. 
Vince McMahon kept it a secret and broke up that partnership around the same time. He also led to Mick Foley quitting in a role that he had really coveted and wanted and could have become great at over time, like Taz and Michael Cole yeah. did, like JBL and Michael Cole did. Either Michael Cole and Mick Foley or Jim Ross and Mick Foley, as you got for a couple of months. And it was that quite sadistic part of Jim Ro- of, of Vince McMahon's personality that always looked its ugliest when it came to treatment of Jim Ross. And yeah. My, it's, it's like... It's like a parent having a favourite child and the sibling that is not favoured taking it out on the sibling that is favoured that doesn't necessarily have a say in the matter. I don't think Michael Cole wanted to be treated as that. I don't think he wanted to take the lead role of Raw announcer that way. But that was what Vince yeah. McMahon wanted. Yeah, that was that was a whole weird thing. It's- just like the atmosphere that night it wasn't a if you want a torch to be passed that isn't how you would write it at yeah. all which well, at least, just yeah if you were going to swap them around that's fine you know that's what they've done with Corey graves and byron saxon and people like that but you don't not tell them until it happens and completely yeah. change their working patterns their situation their home situation everything was what the, that they had to do in that moment and Again, Jim, because when this man comes out now, he's hero worshipped. You know, the yeah. people, people that shit on the product year long, all year round to an extent. There we go. <laughs> 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 he, he doesn't get that treatment though when he comes out. He is, you know, everyone bows down as he's coming out. And now, when if it's the post WrestleMania crowd, they'll sing to his entrance theme music and everything. Yeah. I'm sure when he comes out for any Raw reunion special or any special edition anniversary or whatever, they'll be, thank you, Vince. Thank you, Vince, chance and everything like that. Yeah, I so mean... So their displeasure um, at the product, I think, more often than not, is targeted at Michael Cole as an on-screen personality than it is Vince McMahon. Because you see him on a weekly basis, that's why. I mean, Vince is a special attraction now. And, and that and that that's ultimately what it is. I mean, at the end of the day, Vince is the reason where it's it's worldwide wrestling. Um, the, sorry, that's the seventies one. It's it's Vince is the reason it is WWE World Wrestling Entertainment that we're watching now, as opposed to like whatever it could have ended up a variety of territories. WCW could have been anything, yeah. but Vince is the reason that they won. Like ultimately. Yes, they had other stars, and yes, you know, um, that there were a whole myriad of mistakes that used to be made, but you still need to capitalise on them, and you still need that man at the helm to um, make those decisions. And that's Vince. That's why people like him. Now, let's talk about probably the most contentious era of Michael Cole as an oh. announcer. Oh, we're doing it, are we? Okay. We'll do it. So, Michael Cole, to the best of my knowledge, the only time that a play by play announcer. Play-by-play, therefore the voice that you hear the most over, I think it was three hours at that point, three-hour roar, was a heel, and a really obnoxious heel at that. Yeah. Do you remember the coal mine, guys? We're going to talk about the coal mine. But here's the thing. Michael Cole as a character, and Michael Cole as a performer, I think did a pretty damn good job. 
Like, people were booing him, but he made them boo him so much more. When he was oh, reading, yeah. I have a call, I have an email from the anonymous ge- raw general manager. Uh, you know, when he's bigging well, up that w- the Miz, with- when he's shitting on people <clears throat> like Daniel Bryan, when he's abusing Jerry Lawler in a very, like, Memphis, yeah. uh, Memphis-Jerry Lawler relationship. Like, as close as WWE probably came to an Andy Kaufman feud for Jerry Lawler, really. And yeah. like, there's a great shot of him when Jerry Lawler, I think, gets him by the tie and pulls him into the coal mine. And his face is smushed up against the the plexiglass. Yeah. That's great work. He did great work. He His heel promos against Daniel Bryan on NXT were really good. It was like... It was like... At the time, it felt like when you see those old tapes of Vince McMahon when he was doing a prototype Mr. McMahon character on Memphis Wrestling. Yeah. Like... There's a potential heel character here that could be as hated and effective a character as we've seen since Mr. McMahon in the Prime Attitude Era. There are two examples in the last 10 to 15 years of people who became heels who on paper really shouldn't have been heels and their previous incarnations weren't exactly catching fire as characters and then their heel work did tear the house down it, it got nuclear levels of heat one of them is michael cole and the other is vicky guerrero mm-hmm. like both on paper shouldn't it, it, it should they shouldn't have been heels really like why is it the non-wrestlers that are getting that level of uh, nuclear heat because they're not wrestlers to an extent maybe that's maybe that's the Take point a drink. <laughs> well here's my theory actually on that regards wrestlers now wrestle to entertain the crowds the faces want to entertain the crowds and the heels want to entertain the crowds the moveset of a heel AJ Styles was not very different to a moveset of a face AJ Styles and so that provokes in moments they can get boos but just as likely people are going to cheer and applaud if they've had a great match they'll do a this is awesome chant yeah. Non-wrestling personalities like Vicky Guerrero and Michael Cole, in theory, have no positive attributes for you to cheer them. Michael Cole's not going to do a 450 springboard through a table onto Dean Ambrose. So he's just going to be a snivelly little shit and, and do an exaggerated version of the Michael Cole that we criticise who parrots the corporate line and says that Daniel Bryan doesn't deserve to be where he is and that The Miz is the greatest WWE champion of all time or whatever it was he would be saying at the time. And there so, within lies the difference between Vicky Guerrero and Michael Cole and the random slash obnoxious celebrity tie-ins. I mean, when they had like the people from like The View on, that that was obnoxious. That was obnoxious in the wrestling fans' eyes. That took away from wrestling content in wrestling fans' eyes, and it wasn't linked to the product. That's the key difference. Vicky and Michael were still linked to the product. It was still a story. They had a, a legit storyline reason to be there, and the fans couldn't discredit that. But it was just so annoying. Mm. And that's what a heel's supposed to be. You're supposed to want to see a heel get their comeuppance. Oh yeah, that was, that was why it was so crazy that WWE didn't have Jerry Lawler beat him at WrestleMania and they held it out for another month. And yes, he did get his comeuppance in the Kiss My Foot match. And I couldn't believe 
that they made a callback to the you know 1995 Bret Hart Jerry Lawler feud. That was a shocker of a. That was something that I thought only the likes of me would be able to remember or be able to reference. It was more than a month, by the way. You're forgetting they had like an Oklahoma strap tag team match the month after. I I I, I watched Raw on a regular. Uh, this is obviously when I was in my peak of watching Raw on a regular basis. Um, yeah. So, I don't know why I was watching more on a regular basis if that was what was being hyped. So if he or Michael Cole had stepped away from the broadcast booth... Here's one that I remember at the time when Michael Cole was starting to become a heel announcer. Because it really started when NXT started. Where he was actually taking a heel role to Josh Matthews. Who can believe the notion that Josh Matthews was a babyface for any kind of... Or at the very least neutral, given the, the, the sort of... In a way, the way that uh, Josh Matthews is being treated now on, on um, Impact uh, maybe is how Michael Cole should have eventually been treated. Because I remember when the Nexus made their invasion, Michael Cole wasn't there. And that was like a... Is this some foreshadowing? Is this laying out a clue? And the next week when the Nexus hit again, Michael Cole wasn't there. So people were thinking, is Michael Cole going to be like their spokesperson, their manager? Nothing came of that. But it was weird that he was one that didn't get attacked. They attacked uh, Jerry Lawler. They attacked who was the other announcer on Raw at that point? I, I think it was. Um, there was a third announcer, wasn't there? Yeah, I think it might have been someone like jo- Matt Striker or Matt Josh Matthews. There we go. They attacked Matt Striker. So if Michael Cole had stepped away at that point and become either a spokesperson for the Nexus or become the manager slash agent of the Miz. Or took over as the anonymous Raw general manager or whoever it was. When Bret Hart was uh, taken out as the general manager and he'd taken the role then. And yeah. it turned out that he'd been the anonymous general manager all along, which was what everyone thought was going to be the payoff. Would have been but bloody better as a these payoff. Emails and then it would turn out that someone would turn the laptop around and there was nothing on the screen or anything like that. Just a big picture of Michael Cole. That would have been yeah. funny. With a shit-eating <laughs> grin. So if we'd had that and Michael Cole was only appearing in one or two segments per Raw and SmackDown, would we look back on he or Michael Cole with affection? Uh, well, like, you mean like as a gateway kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't look at it with like real disaffection in a sense because really, he did there were so many moments like him jumping on the table and chanting Milwaukee when R Truth gets the name wrong. I remember when um, John Cena was traded to Raw, then traded, uh, traded to SmackDown, then traded to Raw on the same night. And Michael Cole's reaction was like, ha ha, ha ha, na 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 na. And it's like, this is the voice of the pro- promotion. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why it works, in a sense. It, it's, it's a tough one. It, it, because it was so jarring is why you remember it. You know, it wasn't what's supposed to have been happening. Again, not like Vicky Guerrero turning heel. The 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 widow of a legend turning heel on paper wouldn't really work, but it did. Mm. So, and then just he turned again. He's never really turned face. Although I do remember he did some great he... face work. Well, it was when Jerry Lawler had that heart attack, and he wasn't able to. 
Like, he, Bunkle he, said that he wanted there to be a moment where he would actually stand up for Jerry Lawler. He'd defend Jerry Lawler or, yeah. or something like that. Because he was he's, humbled after the kiss my foot, but he still had heelish yeah. tendencies. He had heelish tendencies. That was sort of like a half turn. It was like a neutering mm. of, of the character. Well, it was like um, how organically Jerry Lawler gradually just became a babyface as a colour commentator. He didn't have that face turn moment. Like, Jerry yeah. Lawler in 98 was still a heel. He was siding with Mr. McMahon. He was feuding with Al Snow or Takamich Noku on, on screen as a, as a wrestler slash announcer. But then by 2000, he is fighting the right to censor, and there wasn't a moment where he did that. But Michael Cole, again, it's like, what would it take for people to cheer Michael Cole? Is it even possible? Um, Could he get greeted with enthusiasm like JR does whenever he comes <sighs> Like, if Michael Cole did step away and took a backstage role, or left the company, could he come back and be treated with... He could never match JR, I don't think, because there's too much... Or maybe he could. I think the thing with JR is there's that nostalgia element to him, that that people love JR in the the same way that, like, I love the Sooty Show, or something like that. Maybe, 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 Maybe to the generation of young wrestling fans now that will be doing podcasts in 15, 20 years' time. Maybe they will love Michael Cole in the same way that we love Michael Cole. I mean, I love Gorilla Monsoon as a, a play-by-play announcer. And it turns out, at that time, the people on the Wrestling Observer and everything were saying he was the worst play-by-play announcer in the world. I I don't know. I, I personally think, no. He, he'll never be loved as much as JR is loved. Um, if, it was, if it was the UK tor- Championship Tournament, Michael Cole, that we were getting... On a consistent basis. On a consistent basis. Uh, Michael Cole that obviously didn't have Vince McMahon in his ear. That maybe had Triple H. Or maybe. Ward, but then... Or, or no one particularly in his ear that was trusted with his own devices for but those parts. that would have its own problem with it. Because then he'd be more classic JR-esque. In terms I don't of think like he would a straight be. I think like... he'd just be his own thing. The thing with JR is he did have that southern wrestling voice... That I guess added a, 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 a sporting personality to it because it's interesting when you look at the commentators in all uh, in all worlds really. There are so many commentators in in British sports, and I'm sure the same is in American sports. I know like John Madden and Marv Albert and Bob Costas and and all those people are are are, are hewn into someone's fandom. And similarly with football, you know, it is John Moxon. Oh my and and. Cricket fans, it is the people who do um, Test Match Special. Uh, rugby Union fans, it's that commentator who talks like this and there's Gwil Carling running down the ring. Horse Murray racing. Walker. Murray for Walker Formula for one. Formula 1. In the lead is Damon Hill. The the horse racing guy. And they're coming down the fast road. It's a fast sound. It's a fast sound. Uh, like, See, I don't know if you can tell if that's the same bloke. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Um, but since then, if you listen to commentators in any line of sports, especially in America, they do just... They all have that voice. It's the standard announcing voice that they all share. And where's the where's the nostalgia for that? I don't even think Mike Goldberg will be particularly missed to UFC fans now that he's gone. Um, all I spent... Pretty much I spend half the time when I watch a football match saying shut the fuck up uh what's that guy's name the main guy who always does bbc commentary who's like their main number one guy what jonathan pierce 
No, Robots, oh god, I do think that, but yeah. Uh, Martin Tyler, is that his name? No, Martin Tyler does, uh, I'm fairly sure he's for the other side. Uh, Sky or something like that. But are, are you on about, like, I know what you mean, he, like, he's got a boring looking face. Yeah, he's just got no face, basically. Yeah. But everyone's got their pros and their cons with Guy Mowbray. Like, for... That's it. Oh, so many times yeah. when I'm watching, I just go, "Shut the fuck up, Guy Mowbray." The only other person that brings that much hatred to me, actually, in wrestling terms, is Matt Stryker. Oh I, God! I do constantly say when I'm watching, "Shut the fuck up, Matt Stryker." I, I think give Michael Cole credit just for lasting through that. Yeah, we have obviously, you know, uh, picked apart a a particular announcer at length. But if we do announcers as a whole, I th- I think there will be a very bit, a very big part of the show where we'll talk about what we don't like in an announcer. That'd be a very negative uh, episode that we do because I've got some strong feelings on announcing. Well, maybe um, we would have expected us to be more negative to Michael Cole. And let's be honest, let's be honest with the negativity. He does shill. He does do what he's told. He does not have a stirring there's no great through hellfire and brimstone there's no the irresistible force meeting the immovable objects there is well there is streaks over streaks over yes that's true but even when you do that you do people say streaks over when they when they speak you know that it's like when people think man city win the league they do think aguero beautiful when they As like a commentary street. moment, that is beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I think when people think of the street being over, they think of the image of Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman's reaction, the guy on the front row with the eyes bulging out. Yeah, the Titan think with Undertaker say, lying flat in the ring. Yeah, he does say that the streak is over. It's more the reaction of the crowd than it is that the commentators summarizing it. Yeah, it's not you know. And I'll save that for one of my Mount Rushmore moments uh, to to do that. So we're going to get towards um, Mount Rushmore, but just look at the future of Michael Cole. Do you think Do you think Michael Cole will be the lead announcer at WrestleMania forty four? The closest to WrestleMania uh, coming up will be WrestleMania thirty four. He was the one of the lead announcers at twenty four. He will be the lead announcer at thirty four. Will he be the lead announcer at forty four? I think they might want to know. Not because he isn't good, but because he'll be very dated by then. And I don't think Vince will hang on to him in an announcing role for that long because he will have become quite dated. But if Vince McMahon's no longer in a position of authority, which by WrestleMania 44... All right, could okay, well Wrestle- WrestleMania 39, five years from now, as we speak, which might Mo- be when someone's listening to this podcast... Most likely, he's got a very strong chance of being there in about five years' time. I don't think Vince or or whoever's in charge will be fully confident to strip uh, the commentary team to like a new level. Um, I think I put this is like a personal side, um, so I'm just going to chuck a sidebar in here. I do think the long-term goal of Raw's commentary team is uh, Corey Graves, Mauro Ranallo. And I think because and I think because it will be a three man booth uh, come what may, I'd like Tom Phillips as my third man there. Um, okay. I think that's the, that. I think not Nigel McGuinness. Nigel's very Nigel good. McGuinness do too much of what Corey Graves does. Yeah, yeah. Nigel's very good, but 
maybe SmackDown for Nigel. Uh, Nigel McGuinness, Byron Saxton, and whoever the hell they want. Some generic yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, people say, third. yeah, okay, Michael Cole's a shill, but Byron Saxton is borderline. I mean, he does kind of look like a sex robot. He he falls into that trap slightly of letting the character play him rather than him play the character. Michael Cole has flitted between the two on occasion. This was but... a brilliant moment, actually, that someone summed up online of a, a recent one. I don't like to state this, but there was a recent episode where Daniel Bryan was in the commentary booth with Byron Saxton. And Daniel said, the problem with you, Byron, is you only see a WWE line of thought and you are a puppet to what the management and everyone tells you to say. And then someone else imagined at that moment, Vince McMahon says in the booth, tell him you don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell him you're an independent person. I'm an independent person. <laughs> tell him we are all individuals. We are, we are all... all individuals. I'm not. Shh. <laughs> Oh. This is what I think will happen very possibly. If Vince McMahon goes, or if Vince McMahon starts to secede power, well, the first sign that Vince McMahon is not all powerful will be when Triple H is finally able to shit can Kevin Dunn, which I think he wants to do greatly and as quickly as possible. And I think Michael Cole will eventually take the Kevin Dunn role. I think Michael Cole will become the executive producer of WWE programming. He's already producing NXT. He's already... He is the guy that Mara Ranallo will work with. Mara Ranallo will not work with with Vince McMahon, but he will work with Triple H and uh, Michael Cole in his ear. So if... Um, if Vince McMahon's still in charge, then Mara Ranallo will not be the lead announcer at WrestleMania whatever. But if it's a Triple H-run company, or a, or a WWE under Fox ownership or Universal ownership, and it's an entirely different corporate structure at that point, and we've suddenly got WCW 2.0, Jesus, it, it <laughs> might not be. Michael Cole might be the Eric Bischoff of the WWE at that point, for all we know. Now, that's something that I'd, I'd like to see him take a crack at. That would be intriguing, if nothing else. If it becomes a corporate structure. Because that's the thing. Like I said, if I was to say anything about Michael Cole... You've got to admire him for his longevity. Because to stick with that company, with their working hours that they demand of their people, for 20 years... Think about this. He's been on TV as an announcer pretty much every week since SmackDown was on air. In the arena, talking to the camera. The only breaks he would have had would have been Christmas time, maybe. And this the, 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 the last year that we had, he didn't even get that. When so he, he when he started the in WWE, holiday, the longest holiday that Michael Cole's probably had for the most part in this job has been six days. If he left on the day of the day after one Raw and came back the day of the next Raw, mm. think about that. The longest. What was I going to say? Um, yeah, when when Michael Cole started in WWE, Tony Blair was popular. Now mm. put that into context. <laughs> That sums it all up, really. When Michael Cole was on TV, I don't know if Donald Trump has said you're fired yet on TV. I'm not sure. Michael Cole was on TV. Um, well, <laughs> it sounds like a very, very mundane version of Yo Mama. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah, no, when Michael Cole was on TV, France were about to host the World Cup, and Ronald- and original Ronaldo was in his prime. And he was not fat Ronaldo yet. He was not fat Ronaldo yet. He was class Ronaldo. <laughs> Ronaldo classic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the last question I have for you. If you have one uh, for me afterwards, just, like I said, if nothing else, the guy stuck around. He's lasted longer within that corporate structure than Jim Ross was ever able to do. In a variety of roles. He was in charge of the WWE's website for a fair amount of time. He's had a number of different backstage corporate roles. That means he has to work a Monday to Friday 9 to 5 in the corporate offices in Stamford, Connecticut. As well as being flown to wherever the fuck in the US or Europe or wherever else. Yeah. And with Vince McMahon in his ear. And, you know, just to be around Vince McMahon for 20 years in that kind of an environment takes tough stuff. Where would you rank him as an announcer? Let's talk about some of the key announcers of that era. Do, do you agree with me that at his best, he's better than Joey Styles was at his best? Um, I'm trying to find that like golden era of Cole. That's a tough one because... What would that be like 2003, SmackDown? So Cole with Taz and Cole's first run with JBL. Are we talking about that being the best version of Michael Cole? I would say so. Because UK Championship's so. too much just a one-two-nighter thing, so... yeah. You know, we don't know that he could carry that consistency. And also, when he did Beast in the East, he, again, he was able mm. to... Whenever Vincent Mann's not in his ear, you can tell that it's a, a freer, more happy... It's like, it's like when you get the substitute teacher in at school. Mm. Um, it's a tough one, because you have to give Styles credit. It's a, he, did a, he did a two-man job by himself. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to draw a comparison. Um... I'd, I don't know. I'd give the edge maybe slightly to to Styles. I'd say purely because he did he did do the work of two people. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Tony Schiavone. <sighs> what Tony and his pump? Um, no, no, no. I think Tony was better in his pump. I have to say, I think. Cole for the consistency that's been required of him. And he's never just given up like Tony Schiavone did towards the end of his Nitro run. But He's never, let, he's let's, never, let's, he's never hit the bottom that Tony Schiavone hits. But let's be fair to Tony. That was at Nitro at the end. It had been very difficult for anyone to keep the morale up at that point. Okay. Uh, well, I would say I, I personally would rank him above Schiavone. I'd rank him above Mike Tanay. I'd rank him above Joey Styles. Oh, I agree with Tanay. Yeah, he's, he's, he's better than Tanay. He's... I don't, oh, I don't he's... think Mauro Ronaldo has yet worked his style into the perfect way for the WWE. Mauro Ronaldo of the Cruiserweight Classic is great, but I don't know that Mauro Ronaldo, who did SmackDown and is doing NXT, is yet there. He's not well, that, that's the jury's still out because the jury's out. He could the, become the, as good. He at, could become as good as Jim Ross. I agree with you there. He could exceed Michael Cole, but I don't know that he has yet. At the moment, he is an MMA commentator who is now doing wrestling. Although to be fair, he's been doing wrestling announcing since he was like fifteen or sixteen. And that was True. Like, that was what's so mind-boggling about Vince McMahon. This was a man that was chosen by Showtime to be the announcer for the Conor McGregor. Floyd Mayweather fight and he wants to work for you. Yeah. And you still take a giant shit on him and make him borderline suicidal. Yeah. <laughs> Through your actions. 
I, I, I just love the fact that now, like, you know, he has just been told, right, you stay over there. Like, in your, you, are, you have your designated zone yeah. away from the madness that, that um, happened last time. I like that. So, okay, is he better than Gorilla Monsoon? Oh, it's apples and oranges. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's, really, that's a really harsh question. Okay, I think it's um, very hard to rank them. I'm just saying that he's not the worst. No. He's not. He is as good as he's allowed to be. I will say this. I will commit to this. He's better than Lord Alfred Hayes. Yes. He's better than... But that, that's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's better he's than be- Matt Stryker. He's better than everyone else they've tried to replace him with. And all these other guys... I remember that, that one that did it with CM Punk on main events, and he was like, huh, you sound like my wife, and all that stuff. And so many of them. And you can see why... Some, I remember there was one when I watched one of... And he was, like, basically a QVC the shopping channel host that was given the, the chance to do it. And he was on Bite This with Taz. And Taz just said to him, something like, don't eyeball me or I'll break every bone in your body. And he <laughs> meant that. And you could see yeah. in his eyes, like, uh, what, why am I here? What's the point? And so, you know, and all those guys did eventually go, what's the point? And a lot of them do end up on ESPN and everything like that. Yeah. Um, so, again, he stuck around. And he's going to stick around for a fair bit more. And maybe some people out there should cut him a bit of slack, as I guess has been my key thesis. I the think show. the best Don't way of summing it up... Michael Cole annoys me. Yeah. And has annoyed me for 20 years. But not all of that is because of Michael Cole. I think the best way of summing it up is Michael Cole is the best at doing the Michael Cole role. It's a very unique role. Michael Cole, has come, yeah, Michael Cole has come as close as anyone has to Vince McMahon thinking, that guy could be just as good as me. Make of that what you will. <laughs> and some people will therefore take that as a compliment, and some people will take that as an insult. And it's fantastically open to your own interpretation. But what is not open to your interpretation is open to our interpretation, is to what are the Mount Rushmore moments of Michael Cole's 20-plus year career in the WWE. Michael, uh, Simon, see, Michael Cole wouldn't have called you Michael. Simon, what are your four choices? Yeah, listeners, this bit's not for you, it's for us. <laughs> Please keep listening. Please keep listening. <laughs> I've been very negative to you guys, so I don't mean it. Um, okay. I'm going to go in no particular order because I can't remember which one happened first. Um, Serious Michael Cole moment, and one of the best sort of pre-match uh, commentary bits I, I've seen. It really helped encapsulate the story, and it was um, in conjunction with Taz. And it was the um, sort of very emotive, sort of very personal way he talked about his feelings towards the um, Eddie Guerrero Rey Mysterio ladder match where the winner gets custody of Dominic. He drew on his own experience that he had adopted his own children. Um, whether that's true or not, but he made it sound true enough. Um, that's just me being too lazy to research. Um, and so it, it's it, what accentuated it. I mean, uh, this is encroaching a little bit onto Taz, but Taz, who was obviously like the uh, the heel favouring commentator at the time, completely agreed with Michael Cole, and that emphasised how serious Michael Cole was being. Like th- this wasn't a situation babyface versus heel. This was like. Beyond babyface versus heel in the hokey, oh, um, in the hokey traditional carnival uh, wrestling sense, this was 
guy who's being a proper dickbag versus guy who's just trying to keep his kid like like proper proper good and evil like proper right and wrong there there is no gray area there is no oh yeah but eddie does a, a cool tope no he was being a proper dickbag and he got his comeuppance and and michael gold just really framed how much of a dickbag he was being at the start of that match and it's just a little it's it's no more than like a paragraph or something like that it doesn't have like a snappy catchphrase in it but it's a really beautiful bit of like pre-match hype I, that, that's that's all I can really say on that. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, because that was quite a serious moment. I'm now going to put a bit of silly sandwich filling into this. That That is not a euphemism um, for anything. Don't worry. Um, I'm going to go for the time Triple H made Michael Cole dress in, in Triple H's uh, uh, ring gear and do a ring entrance as Triple H. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was just so stupid. I wonder he had that really obnoxious soul patch on his beard as well. <clears throat> yeah, Michael Cole's facial hair has never been a great combo either. Um, it was not long after Triple H has sort of usurped Vince McMahon following the whole punk thing. It was a really weird few weeks of television. Um, <laughs> it was just a funny moment. It was just quite a uniquely funny moment. Um, classic, again, classic Michael Cole moment, and it's been used against him, but it is the fact that it has been used against him just shows how iconic a moment it is. Him being choked with his tie through the coal mine by Jerry Lawler. That facial expression is timeless. Mm. Uh, And it sums up just how funny it was to see a man you hated that much get choked. Mm. (laughs) Um, Wrestling in its simplistic nature is watching dickbags we hate get hurt. Mm. And and that's what we quite like about it. Um, Fourth moment, I am going to go for the streak. Uh, The streak ending purely because I do think that's as close as Michael Cole will ever get to um, Mankind being thrown off the cell. Obviously, Mankind being thrown off the cell is better in terms of, like, raw... In terms of, like, the words used, the raw emotion of it. It, it, It's just more iconic. It sticks out more in your head. But uh, the streak ending is Michael Cole's version of that. I'm not going to take it away from him. And... The, you know it lives it lives as a moment that will be like replayed over and over again that that is his baby that's his mankind okay. uh so, so four very good choices if you just want to quickly recap them again for the listener uh yeah his pre-match monologue uh in the before the ladder match between Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero at SummerSlam 2005 it was the same one with Hogan Michaels i remember that much um the da, 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 him him dressed as Triple H, uh, doing the ring entrance, especially when he spits the water. That's gold. Um, him being choked with his tie by Jerry Lawler through the coal mine again. Classic comedy facial expression. He or Michael Cole getting his comeuppance. Uh, final one. His commentary as the streak ends. It was very um, not nonchalant, but it wasn't hyperbolic. Like, I think everyone always goes streaks over, streaks over. That was all the fake outs. Yeah, he just goes. The streak is over, and, and that's it. it that, and it was so matter of fact as well that people were just like, not like this. <laughs> and it's weird because his words stick out more because the arena falls silent. Mm. So did the commentators for a good while uh, in that as well. Uh, I'll give two honourable mentions because I always keep my alternates in case you pick a few of mine. Uh, when you said uh, something about an awkward sandwich or whatever, I'll be <laughs> honest, I was expecting hide and rape. Oh, oh. 
<laughs> no. <laughs> it's sort of just emblematic of the shit he had to take as the roving reporter. <laughs> well, maybe it was uh, maybe it was Heidenreich that had to take the shit in that situation. Oh. Um, <laughs> well, at least he didn't get set on fire like JR did. Yes. But what he did also have to take was an F5 from Brock Lesnar. That was another one of my alt, uh, alt uh, honourable mentions, and it was a hell of an F5 as well he took. He got uh, air. He got big yeah. air. <laughs> so my three Mount Rushmore choices are... Four? Come on. <laughs> four, sorry. My four Mount Rushmore choices, and we are going to have to pick a definitive one. Because uh, they are different. One is his heel promo that he did on Daniel Bryan, I remember, in NXT, after, Michael Col- after Daniel Bryan had been kicked out, and then he came back the next week. And Michael Cole was standing behind a line of security guards just telling Daniel Bryan that he didn't have it. And that was the start of the, the heel Cole character really starting to take off. And his sort of siding with the Miz over Daniel Bryan. And like I said, it could have been the beginning of a run to match Mr. McMahon in, in 98 almost. It wasn't because they made the mistake of sticking him in the play-by-play role and thus us getting two to three hours of heel Michael Cole every episode. But the fundamentals of him as a, a guy that could cut a promo, because like I say, he can talk for three hours without tripping over his words usually, without repeating himself, without umming and ahhing. To do that for five minutes is pretty much beyond both of us and we try to do an hour <laughs> an hour long podcast uh, to an extent. And just for what could have been, what we got, but what could have been even greater. And it probably did help bring uh, Daniel Bryan to where he was. And also, he spoke with as much passion in favour of Daniel Bryan when the WrestleMania 30 main event was happening and Scott Armstrong comes down and he did do apoplectic rage at the injustice that was happening. He did that well as well. He was very good at that. Yeah. So, heel promo on Daniel Bryan. Uh, him being there's, there was a great satellite feed someone got of Daniel Bryan I'm sorry of Michael Cole and the announcers before an episode of Raw I think it was or Smackdown um, you, can, you only hear Michael Cole and he's obviously talking to Vince and he's saying I don't know if it was Twitter hashtags or WWE Network or whatever it was and he just says to him do I have to say this every time? Because people are going to get the message or whatever. So he was he was voicing what everyone was always complaining about him. Shilling the Twitters. Shilling the hashtags. Shilling whatever it was that he had to shill for all his life's work. Worth. And then just very sheepishly you hear him going, Yes. Okay. Yeah, yes, sir. Okay. Just symbolising. This guy goes through this on a weekly basis. <laughs> He gets it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go for the praise that he received after his work on the UK tournament, which was also apparently his sort of production, his work, and the fact that he opened the show with the lines, greetings, grapple fans. He so he it. did his research. He likes it. Uh, so that's my third one. And my fourth choice is when... Mick Foley gets thrown off the cell. What do you think? Good God Almighty! Good God Almighty! He killed He's him. killed him. He's broken in half. My witness, he's broken in half. When Shane McMahon does the elbow drop and the Undertaker moves out of the way, you see Michael Cole reading off of his clipboard for the love of mankind, and so that kind of sums it up. It's it's not it's it's pre-planned. 
it's read off a script. It's not naturalistic. And it was a and it was too smart. It wasn't an immediate reaction. You wouldn't think for the love of mankind. You wouldn't do that. You would go, Good God Almighty! Good God Almighty! Yeah. And, and so that was the difference between what JR was and what Michael Cole has to be. And I'm not saying that Michael Cole had a good God Almighty in him necessarily. But this wasn't Michael Cole either. Well, was it. we were not reading off of a script. It was him reading off of a line that someone came up with in the writer's room. Yeah. And McMahon going, I like that. Or and we- McMahon giving him the line anyway. And now it means we won't really, and in the day and age we're in at the moment, we won't really get to know either what he would say. No one's going to repeat say. that. No one's going to say, for the love of mankind, when someone when someone falls off. Like, you can do it ironically if someone just trips over and someone just goes, good God almighty, good God almighty. They're not gonna, if someone trips over, no one's going to go, for the love of mankind. Yeah. No, the reason JR sounds so good is partially because he didn't know it was going to happen and partially because he probably did think mankind was dead. And, the, and honestly, the Oklahoma accent and the personality does help. Michael Cole has a nothing accent from nowhere, and I couldn't do a Michael Cole impersonation. I don't know if anyone can. Mm. Maybe maybe his wife, when he doesn't take the bins so, out. If Michael Cole doesn't allow me to make an impression, Michael Cole has left an impression. And so what we've got here is what's the ultimate impression, the ultimate Mount Rushmore moment. So just to go through, I have the heel promo on Daniel Bryan being chewed out by Vince McMahon on the headset the UK tournament work and the praise that he got, even from, like, Jim Cornette. Uh, I remember saying, God, I didn't know that Michael Cole had this in him. And for the love of mankind line. Uh, are there any that you're willing to sacrifice for one of those? Uh, um, I would swap, purely because I've got two of them. Um, the one I'm less wedded to is I would swap him dressed as Triple H for the UK Championship. But I do want to put the sidebar in that out of the ones you've selected, um, the only one I'd really go for is that one. Possibly, actually, no, that and the heel promo, but the other two I'm not too sure on. Well, like I said, I think it's it's the different ideas, I guess, of of our own interpretations. I think you go for the greatest hits, maybe. (sighs) And I think I tried to go for ones that kind of encapsulate it, for yeah. good or ill. Well, I, I'm I, I'm from the now, you know, that's what I call yeah. music generation, I guess. <laughs> okay, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very awkward way of saying millennial. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Simon, we've now discussed Michael Cole for more than an hour, so your suspicions have been allayed, your okay. fears have yeah. been overcome. I stand corrected. <laughs> I'm happy to say that. <laughs> so if people want to talk to you about Michael Cole or whatever else they might want to talk to you about, maybe Test Match Special. Maybe Test Match Special. Got a lot of time for Test Match Special. They can have a lot of time for Test Match Special. Well, yeah, you do. A game that can go on for five days and end in a draw. <laughs> right, five days for just one, one match. If you want a series <laughs> worth of action, that's a month and a half. Um, but people can talk to me on... Um, tw- on Twitter, where I'm known as Simon Cross Free. Uh, so called because there are three types of cricket T20, uh, 50 over, and of course, Test Match. Anything else is a damn lie. Um, they, can, um, they can message us or leave a comment on our Facebook page. Uh, let me tell you something. They can uh, shout abuse at me in the street. Wouldn't be the first, won't be the last to do that. Um, 
preferably nice things, but you know, beggars can't be choosers. Okay. Um, but if people wanted to talk to you, Lorcan, how would they do that? Well, if they wanted to tweet me, they could tweet at Lorcan Mullen. That's L O R C A N M U L L A for Apple, N for Norman. And if you remove that at at the front and put it at the end and then put a gmail.com after it, that will be my email address. If you happen to be listening to this podcast on the day that we will release it, which is Sunday, the 28th of January, 2018, and you have time the next night at 9.30 on the Monday to get your ass down to the Bill Murray pub in London, just off the Angel, then you can see for yourself the comedy slash quiz show confessions of a smart wrestling fan where i shall be talking about my life as a wrestling fan trying to justify knowing so much nonsense about it and testing your amount of nonsense knowledge too and if it can match mine and you can match the trivia questions that i will lay out as the show goes on you may find yourself leaving a comedy show both in laughter profit and in financial profit so get your ass down to the bill murray pub in london and see Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan. And if you can't see the show, then why not get yourself a copy of the e-book that was inspired by the show and has now inspired this reinterpretation of the show at Amazon using a Kindle or an e-book or an app on your phone. Now, see, January is a long month, month after Christmas, and Lorcan has given you the chance to leave a comedy show in profit. That is not to be sniffed at, ladies and gentlemen. Stop the show actually you got... whore! <laughs> <laughs> you Michael Cole whore! Uh, I believe tickets do come at the handsome price of nine ninety nine. No, five pounds. I can't. I was going to fork out nine ninety nine. <laughs> All right. Well, it's nine ninety nine for two tickets, um, yes. and you have to pay another penny as well. Yeah, the outrage. But you know, that's, that's James Callahan's Britain for you. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> until then, with our Such a politics nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Just a nerd nerd, I think it's pretty obvious at this point. Yeah, I don't really have to, need to, needed to have a prefix there, did I? <laughs> no, no. But until our next episode, which we will alert you to its subject matter on Facebook beforehand, so make sure to like and subscribe to our Facebook page. My name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Have a great time. Until the next time, farewell, Grapple Hey, listen. Hey, listen, fuckhead. Talk, okay. You know, you, you, you can do whatever you want to do. You can put me on mute. You can turn the goddamn channel for all I care. All I know is I've been doing that show for 337 episodes, so I must be doing something right. And, and what the fuck are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? I'm hosting a goddamn national television show, and now I'm on a goddamn radio station at the invite of Howard Stern. What the fuck are you doing? And you're listening to us now. So obviously you didn't hit the fucking mute switch tonight, asshole.